His name is Lyle Presler, punk rock legend and music industry vet. His name is Jim Shear, most tenured DJ in the history of music television. It's the week in music with Lyle and Jim, and it all starts now. Hello there, everybody. My name is Jim Shear. And I'm Lyle Presler. And on today's episode, well, let's just admit it, today's episode is going to focus on the election and the future of America and the future of music in America. Um, If you do not have internet access, you probably wouldn't be able to listen to this show. So everyone knows that Donald Trump is the new president-elect of the United States of America. And if you live in New York City and its surrounding areas, (laughs) I mean, defeated, man. Heads down. If you ask someone how they're doing, there's a five-second pause. Yep, yep. There's that uncomfortable moment where you're not sure what the person's going to do. Are they going to cry? Are they going to lash out in anger? Are they going to shrug their shoulders? Um, And and the amazing thing is is that when you walk down the street, Everyone assumes that you didn't vote for Trump. Right, right. Yeah, so. it's, it's interesting. I mean, you know, you look, living in this area, um, I mean, I think New Jersey went 80%, you know, 90 in New York, things like that. It's very, it's it's always what I used to call the New York blinders when I was in the record business. Mm-hmm. It was like, you know, got to get the New York blinders off, guys, because, you know, there's a whole world out there of people who listen to different kinds of music, have different kinds of ideas, and it's very easy in this area especially, and in some other areas of the country, to go, oh, no, that's, that's, not, that's not real. But clearly, clearly, it's real. Yeah, there's a lot of people who go to church on Sunday, go to the Texas Roadhouse for dinner, and then go home, and their life is uh, contained to a 10-mile radius. Absolutely, absolutely. Yeah. And, and, there's, and, and let's face it, I mean, the one thing that is absolutely certain about what happened is that there are millions and millions and millions of people out there who are feeling dispossessed by America. Um, Some people may have voted for Trump for some of the more obvious things. Some extent, it might have been a referendum on her because I think that she was extremely unlikable uh, across a broad range. And I get that. Yeah. Because... I think a lot of people thought that I was pro-Hillary. I never made one phone call for Hillary. I don't have a I'm with her sticker on my computer. Right. But I'm just shocked at who we picked. Right. Right. That's that's where the shock comes from. Yeah, and and I, and I think it's it's interesting too. If you look at if you look at the way things worked out, um you know, I was I was all uh, ready to say, you know, once again the African American community saved the republic. Uh, this mm-hmm. time they chose not to, and um, I kind of understand it. I mean, they haven't been treated very well <laughs> for their efforts. Um, but you know, if you look at uh, some of the areas where Obama did so well, and you look at the African American turnout, it was very low. I mean, there were maybe forty thousand votes lost in the Philadelphia area because mm-hmm. they didn't go to the polls. They just didn't. Um, and the only, the only ethnic group that really saw a huge upswing was the uh, Latino vote, which, which really was, uh, tremendous, uh, except down in Florida, you had the Cuban Americans really voting for Trump. Um, but the real story is not so much that 
people, uh, certain groups of people didn't vote. It's who did vote and in what numbers. Mm-hmm. You know, um, the the white uh, middle class, lower middle class voted in tremendous numbers, tremendous uh, voter turnout. And that was going to offset, you know, in, in some places, uh, other gains by other communities. So yeah, it was it was funny watching the coverage because there were so many demographics. Mm. White women over forty who have a college degree <laughs> drive a yellow white car guys under this age. Right. <laughs> there was one about white guys who didn't go to college and I thought, well, that's the knucklehead demographic. Right. And I think eighty three eighty three percent of the knucklehead demographic voted for Trump. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. And and you know, and it's easy to go and disparage these people and say, well, they just don't understand and the world's a lot more complicated. And that's all probably true. But uh, if you look traditionally, uh, voters across the world, not just in the United States, you know, they find the thing that resonates and they tend to exclude all the other stuff. And if, mm-hmm. if you're sitting there and you don't have a good job and not only do you not have a good job, but you don't have a hope of having a good job and your kids don't have necessarily a hope of having a good job and a good mm-hmm. life, then where, I mean, the rest of it is just noise, you know, no mm-hmm. one wants to hear about right. no one wants to hear about the interrelationship of world trade or or any of that stuff. No one wants to hear about that because it doesn't matter to them. And or you know, or pussy grabbing, right? Or pussy grabbing or anything else. I mean, I was sort of reminded of the line from um, from Unforgiven, the Clint Eastwood movie, where he says he's talking to the kid about killing somebody, and he said that's the thing about killing a man: you not only take away all he has, you take away all he ever will have. And I think that, in a sense, a lot of people out there felt that they were being killed, um, rightly or wrongly, but they felt that way. And they felt that not only were they being killed, but everything that they believed in or thought they were going to get was dead, too. Um, and, and that's enough. That's enough. I mean, that's a big thing. It's hard for, it's hard for us to put ourselves in that position um, to know what that feels like. Um, you know, people are depressed today who didn't want to see Donald Trump win, but there's a lot of other people out there in the world who've been depressed for a long, long time. I get that. And yeah. And you'd love, you know, now, do you think, do ahead. you think if, because I was thinking of Bernie Sanders, mm. do you think if he came in a younger package and didn't sound like such a New Yorker, he would have had a chance? I do. I do. And I think, I think Sanders probably, even, even as he is, I think he probably would have done slightly better, assuming that he had the backing of the Democrats behind, you know, with him. If he had the mm-hmm. backing, like Hillary did, if he had the money and the ground game and all the rest of it, he he might have done better. I don't know if he would have won, but mm-hmm. but his message was not that dissimilar to Trump's. It was, you know, it was obviously a, a, in different clothing, but it, <laughs> it, but it wasn't. But it was similar in the sense that you're being, you know, you you're being sold out. And, um, you know, I think that I think that it's very difficult to appreciate that people feel that way and and just feel like there's nothing for them. And Donald Trump came along and said to them, I will fix this. I will work for you. Now, whether it's going to happen, this may go down ultimately as being, you know, one of the greatest disappointments in the history of America. Um, mm-hmm. if, if he can't come through on the things he promised, and there's no reason to believe that he can on some of them, um, what, what's going to be the reaction then? I mean, what if we have four years of basically nothing going right? And right. Where do people turn then? 
Now, is everyone going to play ball? Well, that's the question. Well, you know, it's interesting because one of the one of the big stories in all of this was the death of the Republican Party, as as it's known. Mm-hmm. Um, and all of a sudden, and it and it looked two days ago like not only were they not going to win the White House, well, they, the party wasn't going to have their person in the White House, but it looked like downstream they were going to lose all sorts of things, and they didn't. They didn't. Mm-mm. So now the question becomes, you know, I can hear the arguments going like, well, we didn't like this dude, but look where we're sitting right now. So mm-hmm. we should get behind it. Now, you know, the the so-called thinkers, the centrist, right-centrist people in the party— are saying, no, no, we can't accept that. We can't be that party. But I think there's an enormous amount of pressure on them now to say, oh, well, hey, we're in the catbird seat. Let's make the most of it. And and as far as the Democrats are concerned, will they play ball? Well, they got to think about it in terms of, are they going to be the obstructionist party now? Um, can, mm-hmm. they, can they be the obstructionist party effectively? And if they do, what does that do to their situation? Yeah, because you think about it, if... A good president can't get shit done. How much shit can a bad president get done? Exactly. And, well, what we do know, Jim, is that on the afternoon of Inauguration Day, Donald Trump will sign 50 things which will, uh, res- which will take the Obama administration and throw it in the dustbin of history. Mm-hmm. I mean, Obama, I hate to say this, but I think he will be a footnote in the history of the United States. Um, despite all of the, you know, the first African-American president and the, the hope and all the, and the coalitions that he built, I, I think that just is going to evaporate. Um, his be- presidency will be a footnote. His, his presidency will be, will be okay. a footnote because, because there, what people don't understand is that there are executive orders that Donald Trump can sign without the consent of Congress that can repeal almost everything that or or simply stop everything that Obama's been doing and and I think that and I I've, I've read that you know the White House is frantically now because they didn't think this was going to happen they're frantically searching what can we what can we bulletproof you know is there anything we can bulletproof when it, anything you can think of federal hiring practices i mean whatever it might be they're going to try to bulletproof it but i don't think they're going to be able to bulletproof most of it and and if they move too aggressively, they're going to incur the wrath, you know, the further wrath of the populace that wants to see change. So, yeah, I don't see. I don't necessarily agree with you. Mm. I don't know if his presidency will be a footnote because we live in the age of media. I think fifty or forty years from now, people will cling on to some of the great speeches he gave. Oh yeah, I, I don't. I, yeah, I agree with you on that. I, I, what I mean is, in terms of policy, in terms of direction, okay. I, I think that there, it's going to be, you know, I think it will take an awfully long time, uh, unless there's some enormous event. It'll take an awfully long time for the for the politics of the United States to return to kind of what happened eight years ago. Okay. I just don't. I th- I think if if it ever comes back, I think that this has shown that the division is real, that it is lasting, that it is here. It, it's here and it's influencing everything. And 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 I think the other thing, Jim, is is the question of what what did the millennials do? 
the you millennials. Know? What yeah. did they do? And I and I know that you know I'm I'm like on the very I'm like the last year of the so-called baby boomers. Although I don't really have that much in common with someone who's you know 15, 20 years older than me. But mm-hmm. but at the same time, I think there's been enormous scorn heaped upon the actions of the baby boomers, and some of it is deserved. But um, I think that you look at the millennials who clearly did not vote much. And and by the way, the younger generation never really does. They talk about a lot of things, but they don't yeah. necessarily do it. So you have what's happened now. You could vote on your iPhone, though. You could do, vote in a second. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. No, but I mean... And we would have results. We would have results by 9 o'clock at night. Right. Absolutely. But, you know, you look <laughs> and you look at all those people who took to the streets out in Oakland this morning and, and, and Berkeley and places like that. And it was an interesting protest against Trump's presidency. Uh, but I wonder how many of those people actually voted. Mm-hmm. Now, in a place like that, would it have? It wouldn't have made any difference in the electoral college, you know, at all. And clearly, those those people there are not the dominant factors in Ohio or Indiana or you know P- uh, P- Pennsylvania. Um, so you don't have those people there. So it's not it's not an issue in terms of the electoral college. But it is in terms of. You know, there's one thing to say, I'm going to vote or I'm not going to vote. It's another thing to say whether or not you're going to, to be a force within the political landscape or the social landscape. And, you know, we'll see if this is, is this a wake-up call? I don't know. I mean, maybe. Yeah, because like you, because you kind of sounded positive there, like throughout all of this. And I was trying to find a silver lining. Like, yeah, you know, the, the other side, we're going to organize and we're going to unite. Uh, but then I was watching the news this morning, and then they were they were talking about Supreme Court justices, and I thought, oh yeah, that too. Oh that. <laughs> and yeah, that then I bring up another thing. thing, and I'm like, oh yeah, there's that too. I'm like, oh no, maybe we are screwed. Well, so. well, you know, I, I I'm reminded of the line from Spinal Tap where uh, <laughs> Nigel Nigel's quit the band or been thrown out, and 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 David David Saint Hubbins is sitting in the uh, in the uh, hotel lobby, and Marty DeBerge is interviewing him. And He's saying, well, I don't really care that much about Nigel leaving, and he's just like every other person who's ever been in the band. And Marty's like, I can't believe you're saying this. I mean, you're not talking about some guy who was in the band for five minutes. You're talking about Nigel, your partner. I mean, he, and he says, well, I'm sure I would feel a lot worse if I weren't under such heavy sedation. <laughs> I think that's probably true. I mean, I listen, I want to be optimistic about this. I do recognize, however, that there there's a very big difference between expressing anger or frustration or, uh, you know, oh, we can't let this stand or th- and actually doing something. Because mm-hmm. the problem for everybody, and it doesn't matter who you are for the most part, is that, you know, your time is spent largely trying to make a living, trying to navigate your life and whatever it is going on in your life. And the amount of energy and time and effort you can put into Understanding politics, being involved in politics, being involved in social causes is limited. And so it's not necessarily, there's not necessarily an equation between this is what I think and this is what I'm going to do. You know, I I think uh, my my father once said to me, the worst thing you can possibly do is to listen to people when they tell you what they're going to (laughs) do. Because they'll tell you all sorts of stuff. Yes. And it doesn't mean they're going to do it. (laughs) So. Oh, yeah. I've had a lot of that recently in my life. Yes, right. (laughs) So, Lyle, this is the week in music. So, how is this going to affect music? 
Well, you know, I think we're going to have some more punk bands finally. Well, I, I think that's a possibility. I would, I would hope. Well, you yeah. know, I, I think we were talking, and, and you know, I, the nearest I can I, I can equate the feeling I have now was the same feeling I had in 1980 when Reagan won, and it was just sort of shock. Where you know, how could this man have been elected president of the United States? He, you know, and and by the way, he he had a lot more experience in government than Donald Trump does. Um, so we sold him a little short on that one. But at the same time, I felt this enormous um, sense of my God. You know, there's a there's people in this country who don't think like me, and to some extent, I think although say Minor Threat was not an overtly political band on any real level. Um, although we all had, you know, we were all political, um, there was a, a sense of like, we got to get there out there and do something. And it wasn't so mm-hmm. much we got to do something against Reagan. It's sort of like we got to do something. We got to create something. We, and in, 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 in the world we were in, we actually created our own world to live in. Um, we, mm-hmm. we went out and said, we're going to create this world and we're going to, we're going to have fun in it. We're going to do our thing in it. And so, and that did, that wasn't just true of, of hardcore, you know, or punk rock. I think that was true of all sorts of different kinds of music and culture and arts. Um, you could talk about the rise of rap, which wasn't mm-hmm. really about Reagan, but was about what's happening to our society. Mm-hmm. You know, wh- wh- what's really going on out there? Who are we? Um, are we a, a separate culture within the society? And the answer was yes, yes, they were. And and it, yep. and it, but it extended to also it extended to rock music, it extended to some country music. It it really had it extended to street art, absolutely. All the the great gay artists. Mm-hmm. So how is this going to affect a gay kid in 2016 or a transgender kid in 2016? Absolutely. What I mean, are they going to create out of this? Right. What are they going to create out of it? Create out of it, and and what, and and then you get the interplay. So, you get a rise of a certain you know cultural movement or cultural movements, and then there's a reaction to those, and then there's a counter reaction mm-hmm. to the reaction. So, yep. you know, how does that all play out? Um, you know, uh, but but again, you have to also remember that separating the wheat from the chaff can be pretty difficult. And I think I've said, you know, we went on the road one time and played, and and Brian Baker kept track of the number of opening bands that that mentioned Reagan, and it it <laughs> ran to it ran to eighty five ninety percent, and and yet you know the vast majority of those bands are are forgotten, um, except yeah. except by the people who were in them or saw them. Um, so it doesn't necessarily translate that just because no, it you're doesn't. Gonna, yeah, just because you're going to. Because I remember in 2004, mm. I could count probably 200 to 300 bands that had anti-George Bush songs. Mm-hmm. Yep. Big bands. There was the Beastie Boys. There was Green Day. Of course, there's always Bon Jovi and Bruce Springsteen, mm-hmm. and it did nothing because George Bush still won. Absolutely. Absolutely. And and to some extent, that's because the people who listen to that stuff listen to music don't necessarily take it home with them um Mm -hmm. i remember seeing pearl jam and it was uh it was a it was a i think it was a vh1 thing maybe a storytellers or something no it wasn't a storytellers or something like that and you know eddie at one point starts talking about politics and and there were cat calls from his audience Mm -hmm. shut up 
Yeah. You know, and so a lot of people, they they either don't want politics and music and art to mix, or they're really not on board with the politics. You go to a Bruce Springsteen concert, and I can guarantee you there's a sizable percentage of that audience that does not understand what he's talking about and wouldn't sympathize with it if they did. Mm-hmm. Which is why you get people chanting Born in the USA as if it's some sort of, you know, this is the greatest country in the world song. So, I mean, you know, and, and it's a, I know it's a source of frustration for a lot of these people. Um, but that's just reality. I mean, you can, you know, people appreciate things on different levels and they don't necessarily walk away with it and say, yeah, I'm going to put this in my pocket and use it. Mm-hmm. It just does, doesn't work that way. So, yeah, I think there's going to be some, you know, counter movement culturally and artistically to to the new Trump America um, or the Trump America, not the new one, because it's been there. But, but I don't know how much of that actually proceeds to action, mm-hmm. you know. And and what would that action be? That's the other question, you know. Because the problem is, is that we we either a lot of us either tend to f- sort of walk around in the social world or we walk around in the political world and sometimes those things touch many times they do but but not necessarily completely so you can do again you can create your own little world and you can live in that little world within the united states of america but it doesn't necessarily mean that that has any influence on the people next door to you um now yeah my question is can the big cities unite or find common ground with middle america and for the last few years, I've been trying to scheme up ideas mm. of how it could work. Yeah, because you're right. Because the, the, one of the one of the big things out of this election was the rural urban divide, and and we mm-hmm. use and we use those terms very generally. So when I say urban and rural, I don't mean that you know you've got horses in your backyard necessarily if you're in a rural community, but it's that divide between the city vibe and the country vibe, city mouse and country mouse. And, mm-hmm. and, 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 and that was a huge divide, even more so than income and more so than ethnicity. That was a big, that the, the people I've read, the experts are saying that's a big deal. And interestingly enough, Jim, but more and more people are moving to urban centers. Mm-hmm. So does that have an effect over time as more people work their way into what really are the mixed, the melting pots? And the melting pots are the urban Centers. I mean, it helps. It definitely helps, but not everyone's going to move to a big no. city. I think there just has to be dialogue because mm-hmm. a lot of times the lefties will just dismiss mm-hmm. whatever you know something from you know something simple said from Middle America. Right. And I'm like, well, no, you've got to like maybe they speak with their voice because that's the voice they come from. Respect their voice and then create a dialogue. Yeah, I think I think absolutely. There's no question that you're correct. And but I think it 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 becomes so difficult in the age of polarizing uh speech. You know. Yeah, yeah I I watched a little thing where uh, on on YouTube uh where some reporters from an online uh magazine politically oriented magazine went and 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 interviewed Trump supporters in the parking lot sort of like you know heavy metal parking lot right mm-hmm. and and some of the comments were so outrageous that it is it is difficult not to turn it off and just <laughs> yeah, say I, yeah. I mean there was one guy who was saying you know African Americans were lucky they got brought here as slaves 
they would have been much, much better, you know, much worse off if they stayed in their countries. And the reporter's like, wait a minute, you're, you're, you're basically saying that slavery was a good thing? Well, for these people it was. And I'm thinking, I mean, how do I, how do I right. communicate with that? I think the problem— Well, pro- yeah, I, you can't. Yeah, I think that's the problem. And, and by the way, this person doesn't speak for the vast majority of people, I don't, I don't believe. Mm-hmm. But, but it is difficult to find common ground when there's so much polarization in, in the speech— and the thing that bothered all of us about Donald Trump was not so much what he would do, because we don't know what he really would do or will do, but it was the notion that you can stand up there and say these incredible things and that people will cheer. And right. and, and you wonder, like, what what does that mean? Maybe he's, like, going, hey, man, you know, I said all this stuff to get elected, and look, it worked, right? Mm-hmm. Now, what he does now... Maybe something completely different. I don't know. Um, yeah, we'll see. We'll see. So it could end up being, you know, the, the, I think the watershed for the people who are interested in how to run for office is, and this is what's disconcerting, is that you're going to see more and more people running for office in this country on every level who are going to say, it's okay for me to be outrageous. It's okay for me to say the most crazy things. Yeah, it could be a new era of politics. Right, and I think that's what people are predicting. But again, they also didn't predict Donald Trump to win. So who knows if those predictions will end up being Yeah, I thought back to 1992 when they asked Bill Clinton if he smoked marijuana. He said, well, I didn't inhale it, and that was the biggest thing. And now we're at a point where you can basically say anything. Anything. And you can get elected. Yep. Well, at least he can. Now, yeah, yeah, whether or not other people can pull that off, but, you know, I wouldn't be surprised if you go into a school board election and you start hearing some of the same stuff. Because, you know, if it resonates, listen, if, if something works, people are going to try it. Yeah. You know, that's, that's, the, that's the rule of, of humanity. It's like, you, you know, that worked. Let's do that. It's like you watch the bird eat the, eat the, the, the berry from the tree. And he, and the bird flies away and it's fine. And then you go eat it and you drop dead. <laughs> you know. And I mean, I you know, every person who has children is always one of the things you always got to say to your kids is don't eat anything out right. there. Okay. Do I mean I have said this to my daughter over and over and over again. And don't believe that the animals can do it because they know better. <laughs> we I'll give you a little side that's why we 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 were walking in Montclair and we and we saw these these. Um, uh, nuts on the ground and they obviously came from a tree in someone's backyard and they they look like and I said oh they're chestnuts they're wild chestnuts so we gathered up a bunch of them and we're going to put them in our backyard for the squirrels and you know for the chipmunks and whatever so we threw them all back there and you know a week later I noticed none of them were touched and then I watched squirrels just walking right over them, right? You know, just walking right by mm-hmm. them. So I looked it up, and they're poisonous. <laughs> oh. Uh. So, so it's like, of course, they know better. <laughs> but, mm-hmm. the, you know, thank goodness we didn't, you know, roast them up and try to eat them. <laughs> but, yeah, so, we'll, so um, we'll go with what works. That's what we'll do. Yeah, so we'll take a quick break. And my only request is that we have more back and forth between us and family members who don't agree with us politically because mm-hmm. there's times I get in a st- I always get in sticky situations on Facebook yeah I'm an independent so I-, I could lean either way right and and I know that a lot of my family members voted for Trump whether they admit it or not right and so I will I will try to, I don't like mic drop Facebook posts right. so I'll always I always want to comment 
on a Facebook post, and it doesn't matter how absurd it is. I'll, I'll try to kind of start a dialogue. And then I think when I do that, my lefty friends get a bad opinion of me because they're like, why are you entertaining this? And I'm like, well, I'm entertaining this to create a dialogue to make everything better. So in the end, the righties are mad at me and the lefties are mad at me. And I'm like, oh, I can't win. Oh, yeah. So. Yeah, absolutely. And that you've hit on something there. That's that's it's very difficult sometimes to do that. But you have to do it. Otherwise, what are you going to do? You're just going to have two separate countries. Yeah. I mean, so, what do you, I mean, how are you going to how are you going to fashion that? <laughs> so one word of advice is no mic drop social media posts. Start talking with one another. We're going to take a break, and uh, when we come back, we're going to play Mountain or Molehill and talk about who Taylor Swift voted for. Sorry to keep you waiting. Complicated business. Complicated. Thank you very much. I've just received a call from Secretary Clinton. She congratulated us, it's about us, on our victory. And I congratulated her and her family on a very, very hard fought campaign. I mean, she, she fought very hard. Hillary has worked very long and very hard over a long period of time. And we owe her a major debt of gratitude for her service to our country. I mean that very sincerely. Now it's time for America to bind the wounds of division. We have to get together. To all Republicans and Democrats and independents across this nation, I say it is time for us come together as one united people. Hey everyone, uh, Jim Shear and Lau Presler on the Week in Music on this very special Election Day edition, I guess post-Election Day edition of the Week in Music. So um, a couple things uh, about Election Day. I don't know if this is true or not, but apparently one of the most searched online queries this week was, Who's Taylor Swift voting for? Mm. Because she wouldn't say. And then she posted a picture of Instagram of her wearing a sleeveless blouse. Mm -hmm. And everyone said, oh, well, she's voting for Hillary then. Because there's a, a picture of Hillary and Lena Dunham both wearing um, sleeveless blouses. Huh. Huh. <laughs> yeah, I so, think... But it was said that she didn't come right out and say she was pro-Trump or pro-Clinton because it would affect her business. Well, you know, we, we talked about Aerosmith and and that whole, sh those shenanigans. Um, it wouldn't surprise me. I mean, I think, you know, for every artist that took a stand, there were many more that said, you know what, I don't think I need to be involved in this. It's too dangerous. I mean, the other one was Tom Brady and Giselle. <laughs> you and know, Bill Belichick and Bill Belichick who Bill Belichick did actually come out for Trump but they remains to be seen because Giselle said no <laughs> you know and so <laughs> who knows what's going on in that household um, a lot of things of course it's easy when you have that much money to sort of just go hey you know I'll just I can do whatever I want to do now um, mm -hmm. but uh, but yeah I Taylor Swift you know I mean it would seem logical that 
Hillary being a woman would be the over and and the way uh, the way Taylor deals with her female fans you yeah. would you would think that signs would point to Clinton um but you know as we just discussed it's not always the way it is you know it's not all the way always the way yeah. that's not necessarily the over the overwhelming thing to people so cuz even the the Trump men there were pictures posted online where they were peeking at their spouses ballots did uh, you see that yes <laughs> yes <laughs> so you never know who votes for who that's right um another small little story and this this goes along with what you said a couple weeks ago so Lady Gaga and John Bon Jovi performed Living on a Prayer at a Hillary Clinton rally in North Carolina the night before Election Day. So what happened was Bon Jovi and Bruce Springsteen did a rally in Philadelphia. They boarded a private jet, and then they rallied it up some more in North Carolina. And the day after, Jovi and Gaga got the bigger headline than Bruce Springsteen. So my question is, was that a mini victory for John Bon Jovi? I guess so. I mean, you know, but he, I mean, he's been very out front about all this for some time now, you know, not just in this election, but in others. Um, I mean, he's no, he's not a shrinking violet when it comes to stating his political, you know. No, 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 but you know that Jovi wants to be Bruce. Well, yeah. So So was it, was it nice for him (laughs) on the eve of the election to get a bigger headline than Bruce Springsteen? Maybe so. Maybe so. (laughs) Although I think that those guys should be pretty much content in their own lanes. You know, they're doing okay. So a couple weeks ago, you said that you're not a fan of Bon Jovi. I'm not a Bon Jovi fan. I I I, I think that um, the music just doesn't really stand okay, up. Okay. Well, there's more to this story, Lyle. Okay. Our buddy Jeremy Shatton said uh-huh. that he would join us for an episode and bash Bon Jovi with you. Okay. Good. Well, yeah. I'll have to bone up on my uh, on my Bon Jovi <laughs> bashing. I'll have to go and research. You know, I I I I think I I I hate to say this, Jim, but I probably know a lot more about them than I should. <laughs> a lot more. So, um, let's take a break from the politics and play mountain or molehill. <laughs> Just two quick ones. So this week, Temple of the Dog sold out the Garden in New York City and. Finally, performed Hunger Strike live in the Big Apple. Lyle, is this a mountain or a molehill? I don't know. I think it's probably more to the molehill side of things. Um, the one thing that occurs to me about uh, Temple of the Dog and and the and Mother Love Bone and Soundgarden and Pearl Jam is that um they all are the same people <laughs> and and they see that and they seem to have and and this i admire which is that they just can't be content with like okay i'm going to go on tour with my band and then i'm going to be off tour for six or eight months or whatever it is they want to play all the time you know all the time all the time and that's great and and if matt cameron apparently plays in every band so you know it's just <laughs> 
who do we get to drum? Get Matt. You know, and he's going to come and do it. Um, and and I, I admire that. And, and I know some people like that who they're just constantly coming up with side projects and going out on the road. And I, I think that's cool. And so I was happy to see that they did that. I'm not even sure what selling out Madison Square Garden means anymore because, you know, it seems like the most unlikely people right. sell it out. I mean, yeah. I remember the first time I noticed this was when David Gray sold out Madison Square Garden a couple of nights. And I was like, what? I worked with that well, guy be... when he was playing a coffee shop, you know? Well, there's Latino artists that sell out Madison yes. Square Garden. And I thought, well, who is this guy? Yep, absolutely. Yeah. Who is Juan Fernandez? I've never heard of him before. And he sold out the garden eight nights in a row. <laughs> um, I'm going to say it's a mountain, Lyle. Okay. I wasn't there, but the people who went, you could tell it was almost life-altering. I did with hear their that. Post and they said, I've been waiting however many years to hear this song. It finally happened. You know, and I have to say that I don't ever need to hear that song again. Yes, I agree with you. I mean, I'm not saying yeah. I don't like it. I'm just saying it's one of those songs, and I have a whole list of songs. Yeah, that this I just, is number one on my list. Right. I never have to hear it again. Yeah, I never need to hear that again. I can hear it in my head. Um, in fact, my family, we were singing it the other day. <laughs> Because <laughs> my wife was trying to get rid of some tickets that she had, and she found out that everyone that she thought would like them was already going. <laughs> <laughs> but the people who posted, you could tell that it meant a lot to them. That's good. So I'm going to go mountain for okay. them. So the next one, the Red Hot Chili Peppers have added 27 additional dates to their upcoming North American tour. It kicks off on January 5th in San Antonio, and wraps up, get this, on June 30th, beginning of January to basically the beginning of July. That's half a year. It wraps in Chicago. It sounds like a good idea now. So, Lyle, is this a mountain or a molehill to you? Well, I mean, to me it's not, but if, if you're a fan, I guess it's a mountain. You know? I'm going to also call it a mountain because... This could very well destroy the Chili Peppers. It could. And why do you think so? I mean, how old are they? (laughs) I mean, they would have to be like 54-ish, you would think. Yeah, I would say so. And Anthony has had problems. Mm -hmm. And he had to pull out of that, um, what was it, the K-Rock Weenie Roast? Right. So, I mean, it sounds like a good... A a 20-year-old band would have a tough time playing a a six-month North American tour. Yeah, I guess so, although Black Flag played nine-month tours, um, but they were a lot younger. Um, Yeah. Yeah, no, it's interesting. Of course, they do have, I I mean, I assume that they've routed it in such a way that they have ample time off, and and, and they they certainly, from the years that they've been doing this, have have undoubtedly settled on a routine that maximizes their longevity. Yeah. you know, if you, if yeah, you, yeah, I mean, you would think they would have, because I remember in Anthony's book, I think he said they do something where they rotate every two or three weeks. Okay. I don't know if it's two weeks on, two weeks off, or three weeks on, three weeks off, something like that. Right. So there's a rotation built into the schedule, but it still seems like a lot to me. That's a especially lot. Especially when I read the, the, the headline, 27 additional dates. Yeah, that's a lot oh. of dates to add, absolutely. I mean, it also yeah. shows that they perceive that there's a, there's a, a definite uh, audience for it. Mm-hmm. And I guess there is. I mean, I, I would assume that they can they can draw almost everywhere. Yeah. So good luck good to luck. the Red Hot Chili Peppers on that six month North American tour. Uh, we've got some sad news to report. Michael Bublé has taken a break from music completely when it was discovered that his three year old son was diagnosed with cancer. Ooh. 
So oh. all the best yeah, to and Michael he, and, and he, his he family. He's like a, such a good, he's a great guy. Yeah. I've met him twice. Oh, okay. Yeah, I mean, he always uh, came off, and the people I've talked to you know, who know him always say that you know he's a great guy and, and a funny guy and a self-deprecating guy. And, you know, mm-hmm. it's, it's kind of, it would be very difficult. I'm not into what he does necessarily, but it's very difficult to dislike somebody like that. So good luck with all that. Because you say doing what he does, I think it appeals to a certain audience. Mm-hmm. And you would think that Michael Buble isn't a man's man. But when I met him for the first time, he said, you need to come play hockey with me. And I'm like, what are you talking about? He's like, when I play Madison Square Garden, I rent out the ice and the whole crew has a hockey game. Whoa. <laughs> That's great. And he comes from hardworking Italian stock. So, um, yeah, all the best to Michael Buble. We have children, and that is worst case scenario right there. Absolutely. So, uh, birthdays, you said it wasn't a, a strong day for birthdays today, Lyle? Well, I mean, unless you're, you know, I guess unless you're a big fan, but um, I really only have three that seem to apply here. Uh, Scarface, who was in the okay. Ghetto Boys, is 46, yeah. and he's considered to be one of, uh, one of the sort of legendary lyricists of rap, mm-hmm. uh, which is cool. Cisco, going from the sublime to the ridiculous. Cisco, Cisco, Mr. Thong Song, thong, thong, thong. yes, is thirty-eight, and maybe even to the more ridiculous, French Montana, French Montana of Kardashian fame, if nothing else, is thirty-two. And we have a, a correction this week, Lyle. Last week, your music pick of the week was Wi-Fi uh-huh. from D R A M. So I, I started listening to his music. Uh huh. And I like it. Yeah. So I, I did some more digging. His name is pronounced Drum. Drum. Okay. Drum. All right. And don't feel bad because when Sway first interviewed him, he called him Dram. And he said, no, I'm not Dram. I'm Drum. I'm Drum. Yeah. Well, and so of course, Drum. no one knows how to pronounce uh, Tove Lo's name. So, <laughs> <laughs> But she and seems think, to be okay with that. Because <laughs> Drum has a song called Broccoli, and I think it's top 10 now. Oh, it's, that's it's right. climbing the charts. Yes. Yeah. Absolutely. So the number one single on the Billboard Hot 100 this week, for a 12th straight week, <laughs> closer from the Chainsmokers and Halsey. When is it gonna burn out? I think this is the last week, Lyle. Okay. I don't think it goes 13. You, you've done the polling on this, and <laughs> you're confident. <laughs> I'm confident that next week. It could be Black Beatles, okay. and you'll know why in just a second. So the number one album on the Billboard 200, Joanne from Lady Gaga, mm-hmm. no surprise there. Number one song on iTunes, Black Beatles from Ray Summert, featuring Gucci Mane. The number one album on iTunes, Trolls, the original motion picture soundtrack. And the number one song on Spotify, Black Beatles from Ray Summert, featuring <laughs> Gucci Mane. So I, I think Black Beatles might be the number one song in the country next week. Yeah. We shall see. Okay. Uh, we're going to take a break. And when we come back, Lyle and I have our music picks of the week.
So uh, we're back, everyone. How you doing? Uh, Jim Shear, Lau Presler, Weekend Music. We didn't submit our picks of the week until this morning. Right. Because a lot of the times we'll do it the night before, and I said, well, it, it all kind of depends on what happens tonight. Yes. And I think you felt the same way. Yes. So my pick of the week, and I'm, first I'm going to ask for your permission. I actually emailed you, and you said, okay, but it, it, it seems kind of pandering. So I wanted to pick Guilty of Being White from Minor Threat, and it's not because you're on this show with me. That was actually one of the first songs that came to mind. Oh. Guilt, guilty of Being White. People of the Sun from Rage Against the Machine. Welcome to the Terror Dome from Public Enemy. But Guilty of Being White, I always took that song as meaning, hey, there's a lot of dumb white people, some, a lot of privileged white people that do some bad stuff. Don't throw me in that bunch with them. Mm-hmm. So that's what I'm feeling today. Like, don't throw me in that bunch with all those white people making bad decisions. Right. I'm, I'm guilty of being white. So do I have your permission to use this as my pick of the week. Please do. There it is. Guilty of being white from Minor Threat. Well, you know, Jim, I don't know if you know this, but a few weeks ago now, there was a bit of a, a controversy that involved that song. At, really? At the University of Denver. No, um, I didn't hear about that. Well, they had put up, I guess the students had put up like a, a, a bunch of walls where people could, could express themselves. Mm-hmm. And um, there was an expression... Uh, which covered up another expression. It was a it was a Black Lives Matter thing, and then it was covered up by some folks who who you know took issue with that, and then used sort of paraphrased "guilty of being white," mm-hmm. and um, it got picked up. Fortunately, it didn't get picked up too much outside of of that area and the c- campus community. But um, I would just like to say that, uh, you know, that song has caused a little bit of consternation amongst people. I think it's one of the more, you know, one of the most misunderstood songs. And I think your take on it is right. Um, I did run into a person who wrote an editorial for the campus paper who actually misquoted the lyrics, which was dangerous because she wrote... Oh, my gosh. She wrote that the lyrics say, guilty of being white, guilty of being right, 
And there is no right in that song. Um, never was, and that was not the sentiment that Ian was trying to express. And, and the other thing, just to tell you, and Ian's been through this a million times, so I'm not putting any words in his mouth, but, you know, the song was written about a very specific experience that he had growing up in D.C. as a, as a, a junior high, high school kid, um, in a very uh, in a very volatile uh, cultural uh, situation, and and his and you're right. The way you described it is the way he intended it. That you know, look, I I understand there are bad people out there, but I'm not one of them. And mm-hmm. and please don't put me in that because I didn't have anything to do with this, and I don't agree with it. Um, mm-hmm. The problem with it is, is that, you know, and he acknowledged this, is the problem is it's very easy to go different ways with it. And it has been used by certain people who are on the very far right as a sort of way of saying, you know, white people are being oppressed. And that mm-hmm. certainly was not the intent of the song. Because I could imagine some skinhead punk rocker saying, yeah, yeah. man. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I feel your pain. Yeah, no, I, I, I've i certainly encountered people who've expressed that to me. And I've had to go, well, I don't really think that's what was going on there. But, mm-hmm. you know, that happens a lot. We've talked about many instances of that kind of thing happening. So, all right. No, and I, I feel that way, too, whenever... And I... It, it, I hate saying this whenever there's a black man that's shot by a police officer, mm-hmm. like it's a common occurrence, because it is a common occurrence, right. that song comes to mind. Yeah. Because I walk down the street and I'm like, uh, I'm sorry, man. Like, I, I don't feel this way. Like, don't lump me in. Right. I, oh, I'm yeah. Just, I'm guilty. I'm guilty of being white. Right. That's it. So what is your song pick of the week? Well, it's interesting because I went through a lot of different emotions <laughs> and, um, came up with a whole bunch of songs that could apply in some way or another, either from an acknowledgement of the realities like A Town Called Malice by The Jam or Mm -hmm. White Riot by The Clash. Uh, I went to sort of Vengeance, like uh, You Got Another Thing Coming from Judas Priest. (laughs) Um, I got into uh, the the obvious ones, you know, It's the End of the World as We Know It or or Won't Get Fooled Again by The Who. Um, and even down to something melancholy like Moonlight Mile by the Stones. But this morning I kind of thought about it a little, or Rise Above by Black Flag. So um, yeah, I kind of thought about it a little bit this morning, and I wanted to come out a little more positive. So okay. somewhere in the back of my mind I remembered a song that I really liked from R.E.M. called These Days off of Life's Rich Pageant, 1986. All right, shall we play it? We shall. These Days from R.E.M.
It kind of makes me feel better. Yeah, it's kind of a hopeful song. It's acknowledging that mm-hmm. it's acknowledging that things aren't necessarily what you'd like them to be, and right, we don't necessarily have points of of uh, it's what we were talking about. We don't necessarily always can see the points where we agree on things, and we mm-hmm. sort of got to try to do that. Um, so I think it's a little hopeful, which I'd like to be if I wasn't, you know, and now that I'm so sedated. Um, <laughs> so yeah, there you go. Well, because you said you might not do an episode this week. Yeah. You might just lay on your couch. I might just lay on my couch. I decided when I woke up this morning, though, I had too much to do this morning. I couldn't lay on, I, I couldn't okay. do it. Yeah, I just had I to get going. I have one question about that song. Mm. Uh, there's a lyric that says, we have many things in common, name three. Right. So what do you take out of that lyric? Well, I think he's. I think he's sort of saying that it's, ve- I, I read it as he's saying it's very difficult for us to find the common ground. And he's mm-hmm. challenging, you know, and he says, name three, name three, <laughs> you know, like, can we come up with three? Um, mm-hmm. And and he may have his own reasons for picking the number three, um, you know, that, I mean, obviously the number three is a very powerful number in, in our culture, um, mm-hmm. the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost being one. Um, mm-hmm. But uh, I kind of feel that he's attempting to express the idea that, there's something there. We just got to find out what it is. Okay. Yeah, that's the yeah, way I, like I read that. it. Because I, w- I was trying to figure that out. I'm like, it, it could go two ways. Mm-hmm. Like, we have m- many things in common. Name three. You can't even name three. Right, right. right. Yeah, so. it, exactly. I think you can read it both ways. And I think they probably intended that you read it both ways. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like you've said on many occasions, you're a lyric man. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. So uh, we're going to take one more break. And when we come back, we'll play Ask Lyle. And to all the little girls who are watching this, never doubt that you are valuable and powerful and deserving of every chance and opportunity in the world to pursue and achieve your own dreams. Hey everybody, uh, winding down this episode of the Week in Music, Jim Shear with Lyle Presler. Time to play Ask Lyle. Does does Lyle want to play Ask Lyle today? Sure, I'll play Ask Lyle. Okay, all right. So, um, is it time to get Minor Threat back together? <laughs> what, because of Trump? <laughs> yes. Because of Trump? I, because I, of Trump. Yeah, I don't. I don't think so. Um, <laughs> I mean, let, let me let me say this about that because you know there was something I ran into that I hadn't run into before because I just don't look at this stuff. But it was a it was a quote from a number of years ago, I think now. But it was Ian being asked about Meyer Threat reunion, and and his thing was, 
Why would you want to go hear a 50-year-old man sing songs that he wrote when he was 19 years old? <laughs> and I think there's something to that. I mean, obviously people still go to see, you know, Mick Jagger sing Satisfaction. Yeah. And I mean, because it, it would make it would make a 41-year-old man feel like he was 19 again. Well, that's see that's what we've talked about the nostalgia thing, you know. Mm-hmm. It's it's the preserved moose from Spinal Tap again. My childhood is the moose up there on stage. Yeah. You know? And Lyle, there's no better alternative. Well, yeah, I guess so, but I I also think that, you know, I think that Minor Threat is probably not the standard bearer I don't think that we would have anything to offer necessarily in response to the Trump world. I think there are artists out there who would. Um, okay, can we get Rage Against the Machine back together then? That would be cool. That would be cool. Uh, I think that, but you know, he's also doing Prophets of Rage, so, you know, to some extent. Well, he's doing Prophets of Rage because Zach doesn't want to play along. Yeah, I guess that's what it is. Yeah, Zach doesn't want to do it. I, maybe Zach will change his mind now. Um, yeah. that could be, I don't know. You know, it's, it's interesting. It gets back to, again, what we were talking about is that how much real impact does, does music have beyond pure enjoyment? How much real impact does it have in terms of fomenting ideas and, 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 and then movements and, and the rest of it? I mean, you know, we've talked about how my disgust at the way the who have sold out their music consistently mm-hmm. for commercial and, and thematic purposes that, that don't make any sense to me. Um, you know, but, but so, so, but people accept that. And I wonder then, does it mean anything anymore? Because, you know, we all know you said I'm a lyric man, but a lot of people don't know the lyrics to songs. That they that they yeah. know very well. They've never bothered to puzzle through mm-hmm. and think about what's being said, and and I think that um, so I don't have a lot of like I don't know if hopes the right word. I don't have a real sense that someone going out there and really trying to say something is necessarily going to follow through. Um, you know, I remember someone telling me the great thing about America is if you went to a football game and someone started talking about politics, they'd be shouted down to shut up and watch, you know, let's just watch the game. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I think that sometimes happens in music too, you know, I mean, with some, with some notable exceptions. I mean, some people gravitate to artists just because they know that they have a political viewpoint, they're going to, exp- or a social viewpoint, and they're going to express it. And for those, for that hour or that two hours, you're going to be in that world, Right where you're mm-hmm. amongst people who are thinking like you and the artist is expressing what you think, and, and that's great. But I, I think that those tend to be smaller affairs. They tend to involve less, less people. And I don't know that on a mass level you're really going to get that in an audience. We talked about Bruce Springsteen, you know. We, we talked about the fact that you know, Pearl Jam and that they can go and play to... 50, 60, 70,000 people, and I don't know what percentage of those people are actually taking it to heart, you know, and thinking mm-hmm. about it, like, what is the, what are they saying, and what does it mean to me? They're just thinking, I spent $150 for this ticket, and I want a beer, and I want to enjoy myself. <laughs> and I don't blame them, by the way. I mean, I think that that's the thing. It's like, I always, you know, I always said to people, they'd say, oh, you were in this band? Was it a big band? I'm like, no, it wasn't really a big band, because the appeal was narrow, you know? Mm-hmm. It's not like, and, and we didn't think it was anything but narrow. So, you know, I do think that it's very difficult for an artist to communicate on a mass level and actually have a real impact. 
it's just very. All right, difficult. one um one final question mm. and ask Lyle. It's more of a a post mortem. Could Hillary have won if things played out differently? Here here are some theories of mine. Okay. I don't know how good they are. Uh, number one, the lefties gave Trump too much press over the last year, and the only the only reason I knew about Trump's campaign is through the lefties. And then yesterday, I'm watching TV, and I hear Katy Perry's roar. Mm-hmm. You know, it's the eye of the tiger. Right. The sure. fi- I'm watching it, and I, I look up, and it's this great commercial of this collage of pictures of Hillary when she was younger and young kids saying, like, I vote to do this, I vote to... And I'm like, why didn't I see this three or four months ago? Because all of Hillary's commercials had Donald Trump in them. Right. right. Or, or Lyle does... Do we live in a man's world and a woman would have never been elected president in 2016? Well, there's no question that the, the, the media, which for the most part, let's talk about mass media, they do tend to lean left. Um, mm-hmm. I'm not necessarily saying they're lefties, but they're center left. Right. Um, I think they gave Trump way too much attention, and there was all this outcry about that. Why are you—this is a billionaire who has a party behind him. Why in the world are you basically telling him, keep your pocketbook closed? We'll do it for you. And it was before primary season Absolutely. even started. Absolutely. And I think, I think the thing about it is, is those news organizations have to now think about whether or not they simply did it to get ratings and for entertainment value— and then abrogated or abdicated their responsibility as actual journalists, and we this is a this is a big problem in this country. Um, so I think there's some of that. I think that Clinton helped that out by simply continuing to point out the foibles. Here's the problem, Jim. If somebody if if somebody says to you, "Oh my God, I can't believe the person you're supporting said something like that," you can go two ways. You can say, "You're right. That is disgusting." And, mm-hmm. I, and I've got to reevaluate this. Or you're going to have a siege mentality, and you're going to say, mm-hmm. well, you, you know, he's not bad. He, he, he That's not that bad. And it, so there was a lot of – and the more the media especially piled on, the more the people who were sympathetic to him said, okay, now we're under siege. So we're going to hunker down, and we're going to keep supporting. Okay? so So that's where those things can backfire on you. I think to, to your issue about women, I just as I thought with respect to Barack Obama's ethnicity, I think the same thing is true. There are plenty, plenty of men in this country, and they're not just white men, they're all types of men, who would never want to submit to a female president. Mm-hmm. Now, they don't seem to have that problem in England, they don't seem to have that problem in Germany, or in where, you know many other countries in Europe— but they have that problem. In the end, we have that problem, and and I think that I think that that was a big weakness of hers from the very beginning. But I mean, there's nothing that she could do about it. You know, I mean, there's nothing she could do. I mean, she actually did try to do something about it, and she's tried all of her life to be the woman who's strong, to be, you know, in a sense, a Margaret Thatcher type of person. You know, mm-hmm. I'm tough, or or Angela Merkel, like I'm tough. You don't mess with me, and I think that's probably why Putin's so excited. Because he didn't like messing with her. Mm-hmm. He, he didn't like that at all. She would, she would just call him on everything. And he kind of feels that Trump won't do that. Whether or not that's true, I don't know. But yeah, there's, there's enormous sexism in this country. There's enormous racism in this country. And sometimes, as we've talked about, it's not even, you don't even think you're being it. 
You know, mm-hmm. if someone asks you, you know, do you have any problem having a women, woman president? And you go, no, of course not. But really, does that mean you're going to vote for him? Mm-hmm. Maybe not, you know, because we all carry baggage like that with us. And and there's nothing worse than a man being scolded by a woman. Yeah. <laughs> right? I mean, you know, it's like women talk about mansplaining and we talk Although, we talk about yeah. nagging, right? Yeah, later later in my uh professional career, I would dread having male bosses. I'm like, please let the boss be a female, please. <laughs> please let the boss be a female. Yeah, I so, know. I mean, I I think we all have I would different... love I would love to have a, a female president well, I, or I, a female I, governor or a female senator. Yeah, I mean, I will say this that I I do think that there are real differences in the way the genders, especially the ones brought up in the United States of America, um deal with situations. And there's pal- there's often palpable difference in the way they 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 take in information, the way they process it, their their inclinations. And yeah, I because you um you know a a female, and she was great to work under, <laughs> right? Yeah, professionally. Yeah, and and I think yeah. I think that you know, and I think that I've had I've had female bosses. I've had a lot of female uh, coworkers, and I always appreciated some of uh, some of the obvious differences in the way they dealt with situations. Sometimes mm-hmm. did a much better job, in especially dealing with tense situations or situations which could 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 get out of control. Um, mm-hmm. I, because I certainly knew, and, and I was probably one of them, you know, kind of a male that would go off sort of half cocked, you know, <laughs> about stuff. And, and, uh, and they tended not to do that, which often was a better result than I would have achieved. So hindsight is twenty twenty. Could she have won if she played things differently? Uh, what do you think? No. Or too no. tough to say no. I, I think no, because I think what we... And now, I wouldn't have said this two days ago, okay? I would have mm-hmm. said... Two days ago, I would have said, boy, if she played it a little bit differently, she might win by a landslide. Um, but I was as, you know, I was as blinded as everyone else was. I think what we saw was that there was a significant electorate out there that voted in, you know, had huge voter turnout. And those people, especially in the Rust Belt states... They were never, ever going to accept her for a law of many reasons, and mostly not because she's a woman and not because she's a Democrat, because a lot of those people were Democrats or at least had voted Democratic. I think it's because they felt that they had been screwed and that the eight years of Obama had screwed them over. And they wanted nothing to do with somebody who came from that pedigree. They just Mm -hmm. wanted someone different. And they wanted someone who talked like them, who, even though he's not like them at all, I mean, right. it served the way <laughs> it served the way the British the British would talk about you know uh, Lady Diana, and they talk about her like, oh, she's one of us. No, she's not one of you. She never was one of you. She never had anything to do with being you. Right. But yet there was a a, a sense that she's one of us, and I think that's the way a lot of people who have you know have not even. Uh, 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 they're not even a pinprick on his butt. They, yeah. th- those people still think he's one of them, and we'll see if he is a friend of theirs or not. I don't know. Yeah, and I get it for the people who said, "Well, it's just part of the whole Clinton thing." I feel like I'm yep. reliving the '90s all over again. I get that, and I, I also think, it. and I also think, going back back to African Americans, I think one of the things that that Trump said that everyone like, "Yeah, this is awful." But maybe it had some ring of truth in it for some people. You know, he said, 
hey, look at these people who've promised you all this stuff and they've done nothing for you. You're, just, you're worse off than you ever were. And I think that that actually might have been going through some of those communities where they were like, you know what? We've voted for these people. We've supported these people when no one else would, and they haven't done anything for us. So we're just mm -hmm. not, we're not going to vote for him, but we're not voting for her. We're just not yeah. going to vote. And I think that's I think that's definitely part of it. I don't think that she was going to win. Knowing what we know now, I don't think she was going to win. She yeah. might have made it closer, but I don't <clears> think she was going to win. All right, so uh, that'll do it for us this week. We'll catch we'll us on back catch us on uh, CNN tomorrow night. <laughs> 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 they need more pundits. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you did pretty well today, Lyle. Well, thank you, you could go on CNN, yeah, you if did, you wanted you to. You did so, well uh, as, as well. Yeah, thank you. So uh, we'll uh, we'll stick with the music next week. So uh, for Lyle Presler, my name is Jim Shear, and we will see Yens later. Oh, ladies and gentlemen, Elvis has just left the building.